tossing and turning in the sea of our ancestors, the tradition, boredom maybe. 83rd Street outside where New York is just humming. Walking here from my apartment and so strongly felt how we each have our own universe. Not just we Jews here huddled together in the basement of an evangelical church on the corner of 83rd, 83rd Street, but also sitting next to one another. The mystery, as Rabbi Diane spoke to it, the mystery of each other's presence. What Rilke said, even between lovers, there are infinite expanses upon which they live their lives. Things that we'll never know. But yet we found a way in the midst of this, through song and through silence and through confession, honesty, sharing, just being real. We've been in the boat together. And on some level, it's just a made-up sea, a made-up metaphor. Dry land here. Stock market open tomorrow. Twitters and tweets coming out from who knows where tonight. (laughs) But which is real? Which is real? They're both real. But it's not real that it's a sea that's raging, that all we have is this and that and each other. Tomorrow, tonight, who knows? Who knows? It's not meant to intimidate or frighten. That never works. I've tried it with my kids. Trust me, it doesn't work. It's just, it's just the truth. It's just the truth. And we never fully know a story until we ask. We never know a story just from one person's telling of it. Trusting as we are of them and their veracity, we need multiple perspectives. Rabbi Diane, that experience that you had is not foreign to many of us, I would think. The certainty of truth, the certainty of a perception, the certainty only to have the rug pulled out from underneath our minds. Is that really the way it works? Oh, I was projecting. Hmm. Wow, that was a strong projection. (laughs) And at the same time, to hold the truth that we need to trust those who come forward to tell us the truth. We need to find a way to hold both of those pieces together. And so we began this journey together last night with this guy telling you about my basement where I told the truth, a tomb in which the seeds of my future unfolding would unfurl. We began with truth, but we began much earlier 
than last night with the truth. We started talking about this theme way back. <laughs> about the power of love and the power of trying to be free isn't going to do it, but when we are aware of ourselves in the moment that we imprison ourselves, when you leave here tonight and tomorrow and the next day, I'll be thrilled if you remember a story, if you remember a moment, but I'll be even more satisfied if you remember this simple moment, this teaching of when we are in it, when the cascade of thoughts and moments and it's all happening. We're right back there and we stop and we take a breath. We stay in the room that feels like a tomb, a place where something is deadening, an energy between you and your lover, between you and your boss, between you and your board members, between you and your friends, between us and our polity, when we are so in it and we say, I need options. And we remember that being in process is an attitude an appreciation of simple truth that you are forever unfolding, your future always known, you will never arrive at a final destination. It is all moving. And then last night we talked about seeds, talked about the power that comes from reading a Midrash that either says that God buries the truth, which God does because we too bury the truth, or that God lifts the truth up from the ground like a seed growing, seeds of truth. That the Hebrew alphabet expresses this teaching so beautifully in its Aleph, Mem, Tav, the first letter, the middle letter, and the last letter spell the word Emet. Truth is beginning, middle, and end. And if you take it only from the beginning to the middle, it's the mother, Aim, Aleph, Mem. And from the middle to the end, it's death, Mem, Tav, tomb to womb. And it all depends on where we stop our stories. This is for you to write. This is the blank page, the tabula rasa of your year ahead. Of a year that will bring with it in inevitably periods of challenge. Inevitably, we are going to walk out of here tonight ensconced in the beauty and the transcendence, the light, the love of this experience, and it'll come, I promise you, it will. A moment, a difficulty, Faith, faith, and love. My teacher, Rav Zalman, told a story about a Rebbe named the Berdichever that I wanted to share with you. 
Berdichev Rebbe, Lev Yitzchak Berdichev, was one of the most beloved of all of the Rebbe's. He was one of the most well-known. He was also one of the most revered. He was also one who kind of had all kinds of stories about him. He was known as the great defender of the Jewish people. I told a truth story a couple of weeks ago in synagogue about the Berdichev. People remember maybe the story? The Berdichev was so committed to loving everyone and giving them the benefit of the doubt that once when he was in the town of Berdichev, he saw somebody smoking on Shabbat, which is definitely anomalous in Berdichev at that time. And he went over to this man and he said to him, my, my sweet friend, perchance maybe you're not aware that it's Shabbat. And he said, no, no, I'm aware. <laughs> and then he said to him, well, maybe you didn't realize that one isn't supposed to smoke on Shabbat. He said, oh, no, I know. And then he said to him, well, maybe you didn't realize, maybe you didn't realize that it is Shabbat at all. He said, oh, no, I, I know it's Shabbat. It's Shabbat, I know you're not supposed to smoke, and I'm smoking. And the Bidishver then turned to heaven and said, God, look, Mika, I'm Israel, who is like your people, Israel? Even when I gave him chances to lie, he refused to lie. With a love like that. <laughs> so this Bredishwa Rebbe was somehow connected to another great Rebbe named Nachman of Breslov. Rav Nachman of Breslov was the great-grandson of the founder of Hasidism. Rav Nachman was hated by all of the other Rebbe's. They were jealous of him. He suffered a lot of attacks. His character there was nowhere that he was safe except with one Rebbe. One Rebbe out of all the Rebbe's came to his defense. It was the Berdichever, Lev Yitzchak Berdichev. Rav Nachman of Breslov was a person who was very um, aware of his inner world, and he, he wrote down some of his dreams, and he had a dream one year, and here was the dream. It was Yom Kippur in the dream, and I dreamed, and it was clear to me at that time that in heaven they, they demanded a person's life as a sacrifice in order for the year ahead to be a good year. And I volunteered. But then they told me that I had to put my commitment in writing. So I wrote it out and I signed it and then they wanted to offer me up as a sacrifice and then I had regrets and I wanted to hide and I saw a large group of people had gathered around to witness the sacrifice and I couldn't hide from them I sought to go out of the city, but even as I left it, I noticed that I had somehow come back. I entered into the city thinking I might hide amongst others who were not Jewish, but everyone knew where I was and they were looking for me. But then another tzaddik, another righteous person, agreed to, sac to be sacrificed in my place. Nevertheless, I was afraid of the future. My teacher, Rabbi Zalman, brought this story together with another story about the Radishiver to bring them together, these two great teachers. The story is told about the Radishiver that at the close of Yom Kippur one year, the Radishiver emerged slowly from the study hall. And he said to all of the students that were there, I must tell you, dear ones, today 
My lifeline has finally expired, and I will be departing from the world even this very hour, for I am to be a sin offering, a sacrifice for the world. I was aggrieved upon learning this because I would miss the opportunity to fulfill the mitzvah of Sukkot and to say the blessing over the etrog and the palm fronds. And so I prayed that my sentence be commuted until after Sukkot. And so it was that Rabbi Yitzchak, Rabbi Yitzchak Abedichev died that very year after Simchat Torah. A third story from the Nachman, from Nachman of Breslov, it is told that Rav Nachman, in the hour that Rav Yitzchak, Rav Yitzchak Abedichev died, a tzaddik in a faraway city interrupted his discourse with his disciples and screamed, I can't go on, the world has become dark before my eyes and the gates of prayer are closed. Something must have happened to the Berdichever. Two days later, news came to Rav Nachman that the Berdichever had passed. And so my teacher, Rav Zalman, asked, is it possible that the Berdichever gave his own life and he was the one in the dream and saved the life of Nachman of Breslov? And so I want to ask all of you, in a minute I'll ask you if you feel comfortable to sit up and we're going to do a meditation together. What would you be willing to sacrifice this year? for the sake of the world. It's an ila. In an hour, we'll be eating bagels. <laughs> but we've been preparing for 24 hours for this. And so I invite you, if you feel comfortable, to close your eyes. invite your permission now, if you let me, to lead you in a meditation and just let yourself go. And as your eyes have closed and you feel your body breathing, let your hand and your thumb press into the point at the center of the chest between on the breastbone where it feels sensitive to the touch. and push into it. And breathe into your thumb. And as you push into this point, you can feel that it pushes back. And feel all that it tries to resist, that denies this truth, all of the pain, the armoring, all of our resistance to life. The push into it. 
And as you feel the pain or the sensations, allow them to be a part of your heart as you open your heart to this pain. Breathe into the pain that is all of the moments throughout the year in which we carry moments of self-hatred. All the moments of anxiety, of times when we feel we're not good enough, we're not as good as, it will never get better. All the times when you feel like leaving the room, jumping out of your skin, even moments when you might have wished that you were dead. All of it here. Pushing up against this pressure, all of them denying life. And let the heart break. And breathe the pain that you feel into the heart and let the pain in. And let yourself in, be with the pain. It's been so long, maybe, since we've been in this pain, in this heart. There is grief, there is pain that lies here beneath the tip of our thumbs. So much helplessness and hopelessness as you breathe. Let go of the resistance. Let go of the self-protection. It's just too much suffering to keep it locked out of the heart. So push again one more time into the heart. There is a place inside each and every one of us that regardless of how much we want it not to be true, that knows that all of this, this beautiful, beautiful world will go away. Someday all of us, someday all of us will die. Breathe. All of our games, all of our efforts can't stop that truth, that pain, that fear that things will be undone. Breathe. Even at this moment as we sit here, 10,000 children starving, Mothers with empty breasts trying to feed their children. People around the corner.
Make room for the pain. Breathe. Breathe. People in this room here, breathing in with you, whose children have issues that they can't fix. Breathe. In this room tonight, there are people here who have massive regrets, things they wish they had done differently, but can't change and live with that truth. Breathe. Even in this room tonight, we can let the pain come and let the pain go. Have mercy on yourself. We hold things in so long, so don't hold it. Let it go as you breathe out. Make room for your heart to be free. Breathe. And as you bring your thumb back to the heart, push again. Around the edges of the heart, touching underneath, around. And where you find pain, push in and breathe into the pain. And as you breathe into the heart and with a soft awareness, allow this entire area of your chest to very gently open from the inside. Bring awareness into the sensations around your chest. And as you breathe in, allow that space to have more to hold your pain. Last time as you touch the heart space, allowing whatever pain is there to be held and then breathe out as you exhale. Make room for the heart. And whenever you're ready, bring your hand back to your lap and Feel the sensation still moving in your body and with your eyes still closed, just take a moment.
when you're ever ready, you can open your eyes. In a moment, we'll be rising for Ni'ilah. We're bringing all of this love, all of this spaciousness, all of this room together. The ark will be open. And so I want to finish with another story from another kind of Rebbe. A Rebbe whose name I mentioned last night in my sermon about tomb to womb. An amazing man will be lecturing at B'nai Jeshurun, I think it's this week or next week, named Brian Stevenson. I'm so thankful to my dear friend Eden for bringing me into touch with this particular talk that he gave. Stevenson, who was at the forefront of making room for a new resurrection of our history, a resurrection and a recasting of what we might look like in the years that are coming, fighting for justice and for a reformation of the criminal justice system Stevenson was once at a church giving a talk and an older black man in a wheelchair came in while he was speaking. The man sat in the back and looked at me with such intensity while I was talking. He had an angry, almost mean look on his face. I got through my talk and people came up to speak with me afterwards and the man kept staring at me. And I couldn't figure out why, said Stevenson. Finally, when everybody else had left, he got a young kid to wheel him up. The man got in front of me and said, do you know what you're doing? I just stood there and looked at him. He asked me again, do you know what you're doing? I mumbled something. He asked me one more time, do you know what you're doing? And then he looked at me and said, I'm going to tell you what you're doing. You're beating the drum of justice. Stevenson writes, I was so moved, I was also relieved. <laughs> I didn't know what he was going to do, but then he grabbed me by my jacket and he pulled me towards him. And he said, come here, I want to show you something. He turned his head and he said, you see this scar I had behind my right ear? I got that scar in Greene County, Alabama in 1963, trying to register people to vote. He turned his head and said, you see this cut I have down here on the bottom of my neck? I got that cut in Philadelphia, Mississippi in 1964, trying to register people to vote. He turned his head again and he said, you see this bruise? I got this bruise in Birmingham, Alabama in 1965, trying to register people to vote. He said, I'm going to tell you something, young man. People look at me and think I'm some old man sitting in a wheelchair covered with cuts and bruises and scars, but I want to tell you something, Ryan Stevenson. These aren't my cuts. 
These aren't my bruises and these aren't my scars. These are my medals of honor. We have been bruised, we have been scarred, we have been injured. Everywhere we look, you can't help but see it, if you're honest. Not just your own heart, or the heart of your family, or the heart of the community, but bigger circles of care and concern are full of bruises and scars and injuries. But Stevenson said it well, we make room. And that which is in the tomb, when given room, becomes a womb, scars, Injuries and bruises become medals of honor. This being human. With love. I invite you all to rise.